Hey everyone, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And we are, I um, still don't have a good, I haven't been working up any new titles since last show. But um, we have unplanned conversations around uh, faith, family, marriage, food, life in general in a world where people are weird and hard. Yep. Yep. We are married. We have four children. JR usually says that part. And Sometimes. He didn't. I'm still trying to figure that out. We are also uh, recording at 940 at night Ooh. on a Tuesday night because this is when we for can the first, squeeze it in. Almost maybe for the first two years of the show, this was our regular time. Remember Which that? Is, yeah. And then when we switched... There were a couple people, including your mom, who were like, I don't know what you're doing differently, but your conversations seem more cogent, <laughs> more clear. <laughs> and we were like, yes, that's because yeah, we're recording we're at two in the afternoon instead of at 945 when we should be winding down and getting ready for bed. And we're awake. So anyway, but I'm kicking off um, almost, I think, seven days, pretty much seven days straight of ski patrol uh, mountain training and preseason setup and things like that tomorrow so i've got to get up bright and early i don't even know what time we start i think we start at eight but i gotta get up and drive to red lodge in the morning is Whee! skiing widow a term i know hunting widow here in montana ski widow is a term ski widow i haven't heard that term yet but yeah you're turning into a ski widow this week yeah then i'll be back to something of a regular schedule and so will the show so there is that we hope Anyway, yes. Um, so yeah, I did make, I am making a few changes here and there, uh, trying to post a little more regular content on the blog. So you want to get subscribed to our uh, our website um, and emails and stuff. And then um, you'll see in the show notes, I've made a big change. Um, I'm now putting timestamps next to our very all over the place sometimes conversations. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh-huh. So, you guys, I'm going to kick this off with a little quiz. I quizzed JR on this this morning as I was sitting down to do school with the kids. And we are moving from studying... We're studying the animal kingdom this fall. And we are moving from studying vertebrates, where we've worked our way through reptiles and amphibians and mammals, and learned some really interesting things about all of those and fish into invertebrates and the question of the day that i asked jr was what percentage of the world's animals do you think are invertebrates and if you have not taken sixth grade biology for a while i will remind you that a vertebrate has a backbone and a spinal cord and usually going with that is an internal skeleton invertebrates sometimes have an exoskeleton sometimes don't and they do not have a spinal cord or a backbone and what percentage get that in your mind right now think to yourself what percentage of the world's animals are invertebrates the answer is 97 percent of the world's animals are invertebrates which is pretty mind-blowing if you think about it. I guessed 75% or something like that. Yep. So I was still way off, even though the 
number was way high. Because I think because fish. Fish are vertebrates. They have backbones. Their fish is one of the categories. I should know this because I got fish. So there's five five categories in the animal kingdom or in the in the vertebrate kingdom. There's mammals, fish, birds, reptiles, and amphibians. And then invertebrates, there's a whole bunch that I don't know. The biggest category is arthropods, and insects are the biggest subset of arthropods. That makes sense. Uh, worms are their own category. There's one that's in in something. It starts with E-N. And then I'll know this all in a couple of weeks, you guys. And then there's one that's snidae, C-N-I-D-A-E. And I have not yet figured out what snidae are or quite how to pronounce that. Hmm. But I also am wildly curious what the root, what the, is it Greek? Is it Latin? What has a CN root that would start a word with CN? Because it doesn't, it doesn't accord with anything that I uh, have learned linguistically ever anywhere <laughs> uh i will i will consider this my homework and get back to you guys with the root of snidai but one of the discussion questions that we had to go with i feel oh man i just had a moment i feel like i had another animal or insect tidbit that i was going to bring to you on the show and it was going to be super cool and funny, kind of like the praying mantis bit. Yeah. And if it were 2 p.m., I would probably remember it, but <laughs> okay. it's not. Well, we can so save it for I next don't, week. don't, if I remember it then. But um, now where was I going? Oh, so one of the discussion questions that I was supposed to discuss with the kids as we're processing that there are 97% of the world's animals are invertebrates is why do we think that number is lower? Why do we tend to think of creatures in the animal kingdom as vertebrates? And why do we not realize that out of what every 100 animals in the world, 97 of them are invertebrates of some kind or another? And the answer that was put forth in the discussion guide for us was that so many of them live in the ocean. So many of them are so small we don't see them, like plankton in the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, you those are called microinvertebrates. And and also, if you're just walking through the forest, you could hear some an- some some insects chirping maybe while you're walking through the forest. But mostly what you see are moose or you're hoping to see moose, deer, bear. We're we're in the mountains of Montana, right, you guys? So this is what we see in our forests or what we hope to see if we take a drive through mm-hmm. the forest. No, for hunting, we hope to see elk. Right. Elk, squirrels, birds. Up at our cabin, we have frogs in the pond. I've seen mink. That's cool. It's super cool. That's cool. Wolves. When I think of when we think of animals in the mountains, that's what we see. But then think about all of the insects that are crawling up and down on every tree. Think about all of the dead trees that are their decomp- decomposition is being assisted by insects. Turn up a rock or a a log that's lying on the ground and you're going to find hundreds of insects and then dig a couple inches into the ground, at least even in the ground outside our house. Almost every time I dig a shovel into the ground for something, I turn up three to five worms in just one dig of the shovel. And if you think about the, the 
ratio of that on our two acres compared to the number of vertebrates on our two acres. And you start to get an understanding of why 97% of the world's animals are invertebrates. That's crazy. So anyway, that's kind of an interesting discussion question. We've got to bring interesting facts. I'm going to create a little jingle music. Be like, interesting facts with Molly. (laughs) What Molly's learning homeschooling a sixth grader. (laughs) (laughs) I am learning so much homeschooling sixth graders this, I mean, fifth and sixth graders this year. I did you know that Georgia the state was named after King George who granted the charter for it? I want to say I probably learned that at some I point, but I feel like we probably knew that, but I didn't yeah, remember it's like, it. Why would you remember something like that? Yeah. Exactly. It's, okay, anyway. it's interesting, I guess. Yeah. The relevance to life is next to none, maybe. I actually have have thought as I've been studying the history of the colonies with the kids, because we do one every couple of days, and they were granted their charters, and it was a specific person or group of people who was granted charters for each colony. So Virginia was named after who? Why can't I think of... Because it's 9 o'clock at night, not 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Yeah, that's true. Anyway... Uh, Maryland was named after Queen Queen Mary, you know, and that charter was granted to a certain group of people. Pennsylvania, Sylvan is, means wood, woodland. So Penn's, Sylvania was Penn's wooded area or Penn's forest. And everyone knows that that was founded by William Penn, who had a very specific goal in mind for what, what his colony or what the area, the piece of land that he was chartered to him would look like and a certain set of laws and rules and then a certain set of challenges that shaped that. And I've kind of wondered if the personalities of various states still are to some degree shaped by that original founding. I mean, people often speculate that Australia people, the Australian people are permanently, I don't want to say scarred, but have a permanent mark on their psyche because it was started as a penal colony. I don't know. (laughs) I half of the citizens probably don't even know that. Fact. Georgia, goodness, do you ever watch? You so don't. You're not on Instagram anymore. But the number of I'm back on Twitter though. That's been a hoot. Uh, the number of people who this there's people who will go up and ask random civics questions like how many states are there? Not not hard civics questions. And he he does it in Times Square. How many? Fifty one. Puerto Rico. Oh no, they're like um or um what was what was Obama's last name? Bin I Laden? kid you not. <laughs> Obama bin People Laden. will be like Obama's last name. Um uh, I don't know, Johnson? <laughs> I mean, just Obama is his last name. Right, but but it, and all of That's these people, all of these people vote. Well, you know they edit those. They they're out there for like two or three days and just take the ones that don't know anything. They do, but the fact that there are even people who are just walking around on the streets. People of are weird and hard, babe. And dumb. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay, so <laughs> so the other interesting thing about Georgia is oh, Georgia was actually founded by a member of Parliament named James Oglethorpe. Who, who was disturbed by debtors' prisons. 
And the whole idea of the debtor's prison has always been kind of wild to me, too, is if you can't pay your debts, we're going to throw you in prison until you pay your debts off, but you can't work while you're in prison. So you just sit there and rot. And then the family that you couldn't afford to pay your bills for before you were thrown in prison now really can't afford to pay their bills because now it's one parent with a bunch of kids at home. Anyway, the whole debtor's prison thing is a huge mar, as far as I'm concerned, on England's history. And this guy, James Oglethorpe, was like, this is so problematic. And he campaigned around and found someone who was close enough to the king to get a charter for this chunk of land. And he was like, what if all of these people owe debts they can't pay off, but we give them, we wipe their debts free, but we make them start a colony for England (laughs) in the United States. So it wasn't a penal colony, but it was like, you can go to prison or... or... We'll wipe your debts and you can go live in the wilderness and start a new... I mean, for England, it wasn't a new country at that point. Probably wouldn't have sent them over to start a new <clears throat> land if they'd known what was going to happen. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right, UK people? Remind me, reminds me of that UK comedian. Keiko Death. Keiko Death. Death. Would you ever Eddie Keiko Izzard. Death? Eddie Izzard. Mm, I'll have death, please. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. Cake. Cake. I'll have the cake. Can I have the cake, please? Cake or death. <laughs> Man, I wonder what Eddie Izzard thinks about the current transgender environment. He's not transgender. He was just a cross-dresser. Uh, but I wonder... It's really shtick. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Yeah, he's definitely not unique anymore. Anyway, but he was always a he. He always yeah. considered himself a he. Mm-hmm. We should we should look up Eddie Izzard these value. days. I mean, at one see point what, it was shock value. See what he's up to. Yeah, he's not even remotely shocking anymore these days. Anyway, so so, like? so Georgia was founded by this Christian guy who wanted a fair and just and orderly society for all people, and specifically for people who were getting their debts wiped out to come start fresh, from literally from scratch. Right. And I didn't know that, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, it's really late. <laughs> I'm having trouble with... Uh, what are you what are you sipping on over there? So this is half cider and half chamomile tea. Just hot cider and chamomile tea. Because I wanted the cider to sweeten it a little bit and the chamomile to be calming and relaxing me. <laughs> I should be drinking peppermint tea or something. To be perky. Yes. Okay, so you guys in the episode two times ago that glitched and it didn't record well. The main topic of discussion that I had for JR was an article that I'm going to take a sip of my... Can you hear that? I have a tea ball mm-hmm. in there. I've I've almost switched exclusively to loose leaf teas, and I brew them in a tea ball, which is really fun, except at my Cane and Vox meeting a couple of Mondays ago, I was like, oh, I don't have much tea to offer you because I only have two tea balls and a bunch of loose leaf tea. <laughs> this is not very guest-friendly. <laughs> I need to find a workaround for that. Well, anyway, if you hear you, a thumping around, it's a metal okay. tea ball in a metal mug. So, when I'm out hunting, it was quite a funny morning. Um, I'm out with my buddy Trevor, and you think about I mean, you're out wandering the woods by yourself, and so there's a lot of thoughts that run through your head. And I spend a lot of time thinking about the biblical mandate 
to care for creatures, to be a steward of the earth, and also the pre-fall, post-fall, uh, what those uh, particular mandates look like. You know, if death didn't enter the world until sin, then did Adam eat animals? Did well, lions, why did lions have pointy teeth so, when they weren't killing anything right. to eat? So then if, if, mosquitoes, if it wasn't good what then, was the purpose of mosquitoes now, before the so, fall? Yeah. And so this is kind of how my, my, <laughs> my, my, my thought process went. So if, if we weren't, so let's say we weren't allowed to eat or God was like, you don't need to eat any animals. You don't need to kill anything. No bloodshed. None of that stuff doesn't need to happen. But then fast forward to post fall. Well, then I got to thinking, what, what were the, what was it they Israelites said they could eat? Pigs were bad, so those weren't you couldn't eat pigs. I don't think you could eat things that flew. And then, so I'm I'm running through my head all this over the course of a day or two or whatever. And my buddy Trevor and I get up, and start hiking up the hill, and um, he looks over and goes, "Do you remember what it was the Israelites were allowed to eat?" <laughs> <laughs> I just started laughing. He's like, shh, ranting. I was like, sorry. I was just having this conversation with myself yesterday. <laughs> and I think I, I looked at him. I said, I think it has something to do with split hoof. And that's all I could remember. So then I texted Molly on our, we use a, when we're up, and this is a really great service for anybody that spends time or has a loved one that spends time wildly off grid, no cell service, no nothing. Garmin bought a company several years ago called Delorme and Delorme had created a satellite text messaging service. So it's a, you know, it's a subscription plan. Um, I, I turn ours on and turn it off every, you know, during cabin season, but it'll send uh, satellite text messages, which is pretty stinking cool. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so then I text Molly and ask her for the answer and she tells me split hoofed that chew the cud. Is what the Israelites were allowed to eat was the that's the basic one. That's why you weren't allowed to eat. They weren't allowed to eat pigs. Right. Uh, interestingly, deer and elk have a split hoof and chew the cud. Cow would be the most predominant Obvious. one that we know that splits the hoof and chews the cud. <clears throat> uh, so Jr. texts me this. He forgets to mention he's up before sunrise and this is before daylight <laughs> I'm savings like way up early like we get up at we're, I mean, we're hunting we get up really early yeah so i get woken up by this text and so then i'm lying there and i'm doing some googling because if, i don't know if those of you who've been listening to us for a while remember last spring i went through a season where i was trying to find out in in the book of acts when peter has his vision of this sheet coming down with all of the unclean animals on it. I was I was trying to figure out what different scholars believe the sheet represented. Not the, un the unclean animals, obviously. I never got an answer that I was super satisfied with. In if the sheet actually represented something or was just the delivery <clears throat> method for the unclean animals in this mm -hmm. vision that Peter had. But the thing that really was pressed home to me on that was, if you guys recall, again, this is a theme that I know I've talked about multiple times. 
throughout the years that we've been recording this podcast, but the the fact that holiness in the Old Testament was something that was always at risk of being contaminated and holiness and cleanness were were interchangeable in a sense in terms of uh, vocabulary. So when God says, be holy as I'm holy, that also means be clean ceremonially and, you know, in, in terms of the ethics that God puts out. And so it's both physical manifestation as well as the internal ethics that you have. And anytime you have contact with something or somebody that is unclean, you yourself become unclean and therefore not able to be in the presence of a holy God without either time or atonement or both. And so to give you some examples, if you remember when uh, Rachel steals her father's idols and he comes in and says, did you steal my idols? And she's like, I'm sorry, dad. She's sitting on them. I'm sorry, dad. I can't get up. I'm on my period. And he's like, oh, you know, that's that pre-Mosaic. But the idea is you are going to contaminate me by your ceremonial uncleanness. Mm -hmm. uh, Or if you had a house with mold, you had to do all of this elaborate stuff to clean it because you were physically and therefore ethically unclean and therefore could not approach a holy God who was the epitome of clean slash holy. And Jesus changes all of that. Jesus goes around touching lepers and he's not afraid of becoming unclean because his holiness trumps all the unholiness, both ethical and physical. His holiness trumps that. And we get to be holy as Jesus is holy. Meaning, because we have the spirit of God in us, meaning that unclean things do not pose a threat to us anymore. Unclean things don't separate us from the holy God because we have the holiness of God coming from the inside out with us, just like the holiness of God in Christ. He could go around touching lepers. He could go around eating with the unclean people. He could do works on the Sabbath that would previously have been made him be considered unclean or violating God's law. He could do all these things because he defined holiness in and of himself and he spread holiness to other people. Okay, so all of that is the preface to why this article that I'm going to reference now struck me so much. And, you know, even at now 10.04 at night, I feel like this explanation of it because I've had two weeks to mull it over. You from the did. Failed you one. did struggle a little bit to with articulate like, oh, it. I should have like thought more, thought about, more this. about this before. I haven't actually. It down. Truth be told, I haven't actually thought that much more about it. Maybe just the fact that it's marinated. Well, it's that, been bottled yeah, up right? like a wine, and yeah. two weeks later, <laughs> the wine is now well aged. Not quite, but. Uh, so this article is called "You Are What You You Are What Parentheses Animal You Eat: Making Sense of the Bible's Dietary Laws." It's from the Gospel Coalition, April eighth of twenty twenty, by Peter Lighthart. And essentially, he starts with the classic: "I love bacon and ham and scallops and pork chops. 
why could God's people not eat these for thousands of years? And most Christians, in struggling for why did God prohibit these, will often go to say, well, it was God was protecting them from un, unhealthy things. So pigs, you know, if you eat bad pork, you can get sick. If you, you know, shrimp and lobster are bottom feeders who eat gross things, so it's not as good for you as a good fish, you know, good fillet of salmon is or something. And so God Bears are pre- nature gar- nature's garbage cans. Ne- so, so are pigs. You know, better eating than, better to eat elk. Yeah. Well, he, he's, he's lighthearted. It's like, I mean, that's. Sure, maybe, except all of a sudden in the New Testament, like they they didn't have refrigeration yet still. How come all of a sudden in the New Testament, these things were something that they could eat if it was for health reasons? So he says, I kind of figured the first thing Jesus did when he got up out of the tomb was like, oh, I could totally go for some bacon right now. (laughs) No. So he basically says there's there's much deeper reasons for the mm-hmm. the dietary laws. And then he goes to he he then jumps backward into a set, different set of categories and he says uh Genesis 1 provides a different understanding of groupings of animals than our modern day, hey, look how look how connected we are. I lectured you about the animal kingdom earlier, mm-hmm. and so you know, animal kingdom. You're picking up. You're picking up on the <laughs> on the threads that sort <laughs> of magically happen right in our show. So so you know, quick quick review of what we talked about 20 minutes ago: mammal, reptile, <clears throat> amphibian, bird, fish. Right. These are our five categories of animals for modern day enlightenment post-enlightenment thinkers right he lightheart says there were different and still totally valid understandings of animals categories of animals from genesis 1 and they follow this is another thing that i learned from homeschooling my kids in previous years if you were to line up the things that god created on on in in a two column table in day 1 god created heavens and the earth now i got to pull up my bible to make sure i get this right and by pull up my bible i mean i'm people opening... will probably give you a mulligan if you don't as my buddy well, drew says I'm... yeah that that sounds good we weren't going to question you on that <laughs> <laughs> when i bring stuff so, up so so on day 1 god created light he created day and night. On day two, he separated the expanse above from the expanse below. So basically, he made the sky and the water. And on day three, he separated water from land down below the, the heavenly expanse. Okay, so if you were in your columns that you're looking at in your table, on your left-hand column, you're going to put days one to three, day one... Uh, light and dark day two sky and water and day three land separated from water and so then move over to the right hand of the you've got three rows to fill or three columns to fill in there filling the day and night god made the lights to go with those the sun 
to fill the day mm-hmm. and the the moon and the stars to fill the night. On corresponding to day three, right? No, day two. Corresponding to day two, when he did the sky and the waters, he made the things to fill the sky and the waters, which is flying things and water things. And then on day four, no, day six, corresponding to day three. Does Lightheart create this? No, no, no. This is this is a very standard paradigm. Like if you just, I mean, like I said, because I I could post this on the blog. You could. People could visualize. I could post Elisa's first grade book where she did this table she filled in this table oh, cool. last year okay so day four and six okay so so day six the last day it, it corresponds to day one two three on the other side where he made the land and on day six he fills the land with land things so the categories of of animals are what god made on days five and six and what he made on days five and six the categories are the things that that are in the air the things that are in the water and the things that are on land those are the groupings of animals versus mammals, fish, reptiles, etc. Mm-hmm. So, so think about water things. By modern categories, we have vertebrates and invertebrates, macroinvertebrates, uh, microinvertebrates, mammals, and fish, some reptiles, right? Swimming snakes and amphibians. Mm. So we have all these different modern categories of mm-hmm. things that in the biblical table of days of creation are swimming things. Likewise, bats are flying things. They're mammals, but they in the biblical table they're flying things. Uh land animals. Uh anything that moves on the ground, right? So creeping things. Then there's categories in Genesis 1 of land animals. There's creeping things. Oh yeah, there is there. Um there's the three, let me find uh Let's see. Livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth are the categories Hmm. that he repeats on verse 24. Livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth, 25. And then God made beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Livestock according to their kinds. Anything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. So things that creep on the ground would be insects, mice, snakes, uh, lizards, all of these things. And then he basically... What the interesting thing that Lightheart, a comment that he makes that resonated with me, because we we did this had had this thing about feet a couple of months ago, right? Like the angels cover <laughs> their feet and people cover their feet. Yeah. Feet are a sign of creatureliness in scripture. So Lightheart says that animals footwear is indicative or and and then more broadly their their armor or their outerwear, which is a sign of their creatureliness, has to correspond to what they should uh, essentially is like our own footwear that's a sign of our creatureliness. And then we so then we get into hooves, right? So something that splits the hoof and and chews the cud is uh, is something that's intended to live close to man more or less Mm. the beasts um the livestock so you know in that category livestock creeping things and beasts of the earth and so um i've internalized all enough of lightheart's thing to extemporize that but now i feel like i have to go back (laughs) to it so uh, 
Adam was told to rule over all the animals, but some land animals, I'm now quoting Lloyd Art, were created domesticated, while others are tamed over time. Later visions of lions and lambs, wolves and cattle, lying together in peace, don't portray a return to Eden, but an advance on Eden. The prophets glimpse the trajectory of human dominion by envisioning a world where all creatures have become like the cattle. So, um, by the time of Noah, animals had already been divided into categories of clean and unclean. And the distinction is at least a liturgical one because Noah offers one of every kind of clean animal after he comes out of the ark. So there's already a, a worship-oriented clean and unclean prior to the Mosaic Law where all of that's laid out. But um, he says the rules of unclean food in the Mosaic Law follow the creation taxonomy. Leviticus 11 lists clean and unclean land animals, clean and unclean sea creatures, clean and unclean flying things, and clean and unclean creeping things. Um, and essentially, the, the more domesticated they are, the cleaner they are. So now, switch gears for a second, and think about the structure of the temple or the tabernacle. You have the Holy of Holies, and then you have the um, the the next area out. <laughs> you guys are going to be able to remember what it is, and I can't. But Gentiles weren't allowed. Gentiles were allowed in the outer court. Yeah, uh, they weren't allowed in into where Jews were allowed, and then only one person a year was the Holy of Holies. was allowed into the Holy of Holies, and he had to be specially clean and things like that. So we have three circles like domesticated, uh, able to be Whoa. domesticated, and then on the outside. And on the outside is permanently unclean. Able to be domesticated. So think about pe- who, could, who could come in to see God. Okay, now we're going to jump ahead to Peter again. Okay. You guys, okay, we're just going to, I'm just going to say right now, you guys... If this is confusing, I'm sorry. Go read the article. <laughs> <laughs> You're regurgitating the article in this whole episode. I love it. Um, well, um, I, I'm actually not going to regurgitate the whole episode. I just think it's it's really cool how he takes the clean and unclean <clears throat> laws and elevates them mm-hmm. to a level that says... There's there's deep structural meaning in the way God created the entire world. The clean the layers of, you know, we've got we've got animals that are always have have always been around people and then we've got animals that can be domesticated and then we've got animals that are always going to be wild and a danger. Mm. So a snake for example is always going to be unclean. And, and he basically, you know, he basically is saying, these are the categories of people. Also, if you were to think about um, Gentiles in the new in the Old Testament. So as God's people post Moses under Joshua enter the promised land, 
you know, you be holy as I am holy. That is the only way you enter my presence. You are the, you are the ones who can, who can be close to me. And then there's the, the so-called wild ones, the Gentiles, the next circle out who can, can, who can be domesticated, so to speak, who can come in. Okay. They can be made clean. And then there's the ones on the outside. Don't marry the Gentiles. Don't, don't sit down to eat with them. They couldn't even sit to eat a meal. You know, this is why Jesus is being condemned by the Pharisees for eating with unclean people, because that makes him unclean. And essentially, Lightheart does say this. He says, not only you are what you eat, you are also with whom you eat. And he says, he going back to my love of Latin roots, where I can't figure out what snideria or whatever are. <laughs> the word for companion is com, C-O-M, with, which means with, and panis is the Latin for bread. So your companions are literally those with whom you break bread. And what does Psalm 1 say? It says, don't keep company with the wicked. Why? Because bad company corrupts good behavior. And so essentially, not only do you eat holy things, you eat with holy slash clean people in order to protect your holiness. And you can welcome people who are willing to become clean or holy to your table. And that's the deal with Peter. It's not what you eat that makes you unclean or unholy. It's with, it's still with whom you eat. You're an evangelistic but you still don't, bad company is still going to corrupt good behavior, even under the new covenant. And so, where does all this go? It's a fascinating article in terms of understanding the dietary laws. But here's, at the end of the last episode, the failed episode, Jared was like, okay, here's my big question for you. Do you remember what your big question for me was? No, because I'm on a totally different Wait. train of thought right now. <laughs> Regarding regarding hospitality and bringing people to your table. Um, I It's almost like Jesus's upending of clean and unclean opened the door to having people at your table that don't believe. That are Jesus, not clean. That are not clean. If it wasn't for that, you wouldn't be able to have like, you know, it'd be bad for you to go out and do, you know, invite total heathens to your table for dinner. Um, I'm also thinking about the um, framework of uh, the, like, if you guys listen to us for any length of time, you know, we are huge, not simply on hospitality but on food and actually what food and eating and being around the table actually represents in a spiritual context and so i'm thinking about it through that that framework that lens right now Mm -hmm. um and i i I believe there's something much deeper there i haven't quite tapped into yet but um it's it's i feel like it's there you're chipping away at something it's like you're like archaeology yeah oh i hear a box and you haven't opened the box yet anyway (laughs) Big question. Okay, your big question for me the first time we tried talking about this was, what does this have to do with your favorite book, 
the supper of the lamb. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, this is exactly where I'm going. It's exactly where I'm going. So I, I actually do. I did not have a question for JR or an answer for JR, even at two in the afternoon last time, but I do this time. And, Ooh. and I think what, so if you don't know the book, the supper of the lamb, it is a, a, book-long recipe for a lamb supper for eight people. It is also very deliberately and seamlessly, simultaneously, a theological treatise about heaven and about how we prepare our souls now for the joy of sitting down at the table uh, at the supper of the lamb, the, the wedding feast of the lamb. And if you haven't read it, you should. I'll just say that. The thing that's so cool about the book, The Supper of the Lamb, is it trains you to not bifurcate the physical world from the spiritual world. And I have been thinking a ton recently, the book, The End of Craving. Is it, does it taste good or is it good for you? Like, this is the classic childhood dilemma, right? If it tastes good, it's it can't possibly be good for you. But the incredibly amazing thing about how God created the world is that when we're all systems are humming along perfectly in, in our bodies and in our brains, what we desire to eat is exactly what our body needs. And what tastes good is actually remarkably good for you. And God created the world to be a both and. And that's deeply embedded in the structure of all the world. Do you, do you enjoy the company of good people? Does it make your soul feel filled? And does it leave you feeling joy filled? And is it selfish of you to want that from people? No. God designed friendship and relationships to literally be good for your body. Being lonely is worse for you physically than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. There's actually very bad negative health consequences for being lonely. So so do you do you have relationships with people for your physical good and for your mental health or do you have relationships with people because you enjoy those people? Yes. 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 Both. The world is a both and. Do you have good sex in a marriage because your your the creation mandate is to be fruitful and multiply so got to do this or do you do it because it's renewing your covenant vow of marriage every time you come together as man and wife and god created the only way for you to thrive physically and emotionally and relationally sec- to ha- is to have sex within the boundary of a marriage it's both the way that you work best physically and emotionally is also the way that's going to make you the most happy. And any imitation, sex outside of marriage, pornography, any of that is going to chip away at your physical and emotional health and your relational health because you're not operating according to the design. So what's good for you is also optimizing your happiness. Mm. Um, The way that God created physical spaces actually trains your brain in something and 
fills your soul or, you know, Japan has forests and literally writes people prescriptions to go walk in a forest for 10 minutes a day because it does something for their physical health. And, you know, is it is it beautiful and lovely to go on a hike or is it good for you? Yes. Yes, both. Um, if you here's an author that I haven't dug into as much as I would like. Uh, the book, uh, the author is James K.A. Smith. Mm-hmm. And what is the, what is this book? You are, you are what, what you, you love. You are what you love. Okay. Again, like here, you are what you eat. You are what you love. Incidentally, we love to eat. So <laughs> is it one and the same? Uh, and one of the things in the beginning of the book, as far as I've made it in it, that made a huge impression on me is he said that the way you design a church actually has a deep, impact at a subconscious level on what your expectations are when you walk into that church. So modern churches look more like shopping malls than cathedrals. No wonder people walk in as consumers because their entire subconscious is filled with the expectation that I come here to get something rather than I come here to feel small and to see glory in something that is outside of myself. Yeah. And that's what the old-fashioned cathedrals did, as well as the structure of it. You know, it's shaped like a cross, and the pulpit is... Well, the pulpit wasn't central. The Reformation very deliberately made a pulpit central. So all of that, like, the, is it... Is, does, the space is not meaningless. And so all, all of that, everything that I just laundry listed, is that our entire physical world... And our experience in the physical realm is teaching something about ourselves and about the world that God created, our role in the world that God created, and and the very God who did all of this. And as we walk through life, what we do, if we're operating according to the owner's manual, so to speak, the, that the creator has given us for how to operate in this world— i.e., here's how to be holy as I am holy. Don't eat unclean things. Don't eat with unclean people. It's teaching you something about who you are and your role in this world. And of course, all of that points to, it points to our need for Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And that's why the dietary laws changed, though, is because what it means to be holy and to engage with the world that God created changed when Jesus made us holy as he is holy. Oh man, I love all this. I'm out of breath. This is good. Um, what's the book that you were given? You didn't know who it was from, found out who it was from, but it talks about this very concept. The book You're Only Human? Yeah. By Kelly. Yeah. Oh, enjoying... shoot. How do you say it? Capic. Capic. Kelly Capic. Um, we did find out who sent it to us. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> um, there's a lot to chew on that you just brought up and a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot to chew on, but it's all basically, I mean, how many, how many old episodes did I just reference? I I mean, you just referenced half of our last year. We're literally just talking about the same thing over and over. I know we are, we're, we're, we're a self-help section. No, no, no. Do you know what? No, we're not a self. Do you know what we're doing though? Is we're basically, we have this core value of who we are and how we see the world and we're we're basically building i i'm i'm 
lose it. I'm not able to come up with. It's like the ring, a tree that's getting bigger and bigger. And we're just building yeah. outer rings on the same tree. And this is another mm. way of slicing into the onion to change metaphors in order to just understand that the the physicality of who we are uh, is good. And it also, the way we steward our bodies is teaching us something about who God is. Not only the way we steward our bodies, but the way we steward our lives. Yeah, I guess that I, I, that's like, what I was saying. The way we steward our physicality, yeah, yeah, our existence yeah, yeah, yeah. in a yep. physical world. Our existence, our existential, like whatever you want to call it. Which is also on our Telegram. I, Anna was the first one to be like, I love the fact that your answer to your daughter's anxiety problems was food. <laughs> <laughs> How tremendously fitting for us that we're going to, that we ended up fixing a problem with food. And then just to throw this out there to completely go back to uh the physical realm uh heidi is that how you say your name you spell it h-e-d-y heidi heidi i kind of heady heady i don't know we don't anyway. know you'll need to uh leave us a voice message on on telegram and tell us or just name. yeah or just continue let us or, letting us butcher it that works too but she commented that she had sleep problems and i uh, learned that resistant starches were the answer for her. So a resistant starch is a starch that acts more like fiber and lasts longer in your body. So a cooled cooked potato, and I've I've read this before, they, there are certain, like rice also, once you cook rice and then cool it, it actually changes the starch structure if you refrigerate it overnight. So when you make fried rice, you're supposed to use rice that's been refrigerated for a while. Hmm. Potatoes also, the starch actually transforms after being cooked and then refrigerated. And she said uh, a a resistant starch, um, what she say? Without the resistant starch, helping you to stay full and your blood sugar to remain steady while you're sleeping overnight, your blood sugar drops and the body uses cortisol to produce insulin instead of using, you know, blood sugar to produce insulin. And so having resistant starch just before bed solved the problem for her. And I Googled and sourdough is transforms the starch in flour Mm-hmm. Into more of a resistant starch. Oh, so a slice of sourdough toast specifically is is uh, hitting the nail on the head for our kids' sleep problems. But so that's um, fun. funny. Food those is fun. those two comments are the first two that we'll be making a blog post coming up here this week, which is cool. kind of funny. So. Um, one of the things you guys that I've been I've been wanting to do is just is continue building and on the content we talk about in the show and just kind of our general general vibe who we are. Your comment about building the rings on the tree on just kind of like what what we value and what we do is is has me sitting here kind of like whoa I'm gonna ponder that for a while. <laughs> I've got two hour commutes ahead of me back and forth to Red Lodge so. Um, a ponder. Um, anyway, it's just kind of interesting. So, um, I'm going to be building one of those is to build on what we talk about on the show and just kind of our general vibe here on too busy to flush with, um, additional blog, com- uh, you know, 
postings on our blog. So stay tuned to that because my my hope is that we can build on things we don't touch on here. We may we may we may touch on them on the show, but we don't like extrapolate, if you will. So my goal is to then extrapolate on some of those things that we find a little more interesting that don't quite make uh, show content. So jump on over to too busy to flush.com, all grammatically correct, or TB the number two F dot com and you can you can sign up to get uh, updates email blog posts those sorts of things you can also order uh coffee mugs t-shirts we have a swag shack up on the website as well anything we referenced in the show like i said we have brand new show notes um that i'm that i'm working on it's a lot of work but i'm I'm doing it i'm typing a lot during the show it also helps for like promo things too but um, go through the show notes. We'll have links in the show notes for articles. In this case, the Gospel Coalition article we, we referenced, as well as a link to the Supper of the Lamb. You can pick up on Facebook, or sorry, not Facebook. What am I thinking? It's nine o'clock at night. Uh, Amazon. It's Ten. Any purchases now. we uh, links we do Amazon links are uh, referral links, so you do support the show uh, by purchasing through those links. We get a we get a little bit of a kickback there, so we really appreciate that. Um, I've been exploring a membership option with additional content, but that's, that's way down the line. I think at this point, um, so yeah, I think that's about it. Um, we are weekly. So thank you for being here. If you enjoyed Ty's story last week, we'll be bringing you a new listener comment, um, next week. And, uh, if you have a story you want to share, of how God's been working in your life, something humorous about just living life, similar to what we talk about, please feel free to give us a phone call at 406-318-7136 and leave a voicemail. I screen all those calls, so I won't be picking up. Leave a voicemail and um, we'll feature it on the show. Okay. That's all I got, babe. All right, let's go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) See you guys next week. Hopefully.